Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm the senior pastor here at LifePoint Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like a little more information about our church, check out lpchurch.us. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. As we continue our series investigating Jesus, you might be wondering, is it really necessary to spend an entire series investigating Jesus? And the reason we're spending time with this approach of investigating Jesus is what we know to be true about Christianity is it all rises and falls on one individual, Jesus of Nazareth. And because our faith that we are here today to gather to either practice or maybe you're new and you're checking it out, it all rises and falls on this man. Jesus of Nazareth. So that means all the questions that we like to ask, that our friends like to ask, that maybe you grew up asking, or maybe you still secretly sometimes ask questions like, does God really exist? Or is the Bible entirely true? Those are questions that predate us, and frankly, I believe they will continue long after we're gone, and they're fun questions to wrestle with. But what we're saying is if our faith rises and falls on Jesus, then let's investigate him. And so we're introducing in this series what we believe to be a better question, and that is, is Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John a reliable account of actual events? And here's why. Because these four books contain the life and teaching of Jesus, and all four of them end claiming that something extraordinary happened that upended a lot of people's lives, so much so that they believed they could then follow Jesus, and a movement was born that 2,000 years Years later, we are here continuing to be part of. Is Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John a reliable account of actual events? We are investigating Jesus. But to narrow it down even further, we are specifically looking at the book of Luke. Luke's gospel, where he records the life and teaching of Jesus and where he claims, like the other gospel writers, that at the end something extraordinary happened. And what I love about Luke this physician, is that he begins his letter making it very clear he is not trying to make history and he is not even re writing religious literature. Right out of the gate in Luke chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 he states, many, not just me, have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, he says. And these things just as they happened, he said, they were handed down to us from the first witnesses and servants of the word. And then he goes on to say that with this in mind, I have carefully investigated, which is what we're doing now. We are carefully investigating what he documented. He said he carefully investigated everything from the beginning. So then we come back to our question. Well, then why in the 21st century are we, some of us, still claiming to follow someone who existed in the first century, a first century rabbi, a first century teacher? And it is because of what we're going to look at today. Because the way Jesus' life ended, it makes him worth following. You see, a lot of people throughout history have claimed to be the Messiah, have claimed to be the Savior, have claimed to be some dramatic prophet who was worth following. But if Jesus' life would have ended like theirs ended, we wouldn't be talking about him today. It is in the way his life ended that caused Luke to sit up and go, whoa, 
I've got to document this. I've got to go and investigate this and talk to the firsthand witnesses because this changes everything. And that's what we're going to look at today. He, along with the other New Testament writers, believed and claimed that the way Jesus' life ended, well, something extraordinary happened and all of history was changed. So today, we're going to look at the beginning of the end. And if you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 23, where we will look at this together. Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 33. As we have prepared our hearts today, let's look at that moment in history where Luke would say, everything changed. When they came to the place called the skull, Calvary, they crucified him there. Along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on the left. This is the amount of detail Luke will give us on the crucifixion. You see, he wasn't going to give a lot of details about the crucifixion. And there's a very specific reason why, because they were so common. The Romans didn't invent crucifixion as a way of execution, but they were the ones who many believe perfected it, where they could keep the body alive longer to really create, usually criminals, a sense of public terror. And so Luke is very interesting, is what he knew was all his first century audience would have been so familiar with the crucifixion, they would walk by these all of the time there at the place called the skull, there at Calvary, there at Golgotha. And so knowing his first century audience didn't need more details. Frankly, their first century audience didn't want more details because you could just say someone was crucified and everyone would have heard that and they would have known the gist of the suffering. And it was the kind of suffering they didn't want to hear more about. Now, the truth is, we don't have a first century a 21st century equivalent of this. We don't have that kind of suffering. We don't celebrate or aren't as face first with that kind of death around us. Maybe the closest shorthand to suffering that we would have in the, the 21st century would be like saying, well, I spent Friday afternoon at the DMV. And we would all go, ah, I know what you went through. I, I had my teeth cleaned last Thursday. And we all go, ah, I know, I don't need to hear more. I don't want to hear more. Well, in the first century, if they heard someone say, so-and-so had been crucified, they'd say, I, I don't need to hear more. I, I don't want to hear more. It was common. It was understood. It was known. And so Luke does something really unique here. He doesn't give the details of the crucifixion because his audience knew the details of a crucifixion. Instead, what Luke does, which is so fascinating, is instead of focusing on the pain of Jesus' crucifixion, he focuses on the words of Jesus' crucifixion. And he begins his account by saying, in verse 34, Jesus said. He's going to give us his words. And now this is really important because what Jesus said, what he went on to say, would invite all of his followers to model the exact same thing. What Jesus would say would cause, I believe when Luke heard what Jesus said through these firsthand witnesses, I believe Luke said, whoa, 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 whoa. 
He said what? Like that doesn't make any sense. Are you sure you heard him correctly? Are you sure that's what he said? And as he heard from these witnesses, they all said, no, without a doubt, we are certain this is what he said. And Luke began to document it because he knew this would change everything. If Jesus said that, that means this is someone who is very different and very much worth following it is shocking and yet it matches everything Jesus taught everything Jesus did it matches who he claimed he was and now he was demonstrating it to be true what he said was both unsettling and yet liberating Luke records what Jesus said from the cross father forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. This is, people who didn't like him, he doesn't seem to be bothered by. People who abused him, people who mocked him, people who falsely arrested him, people who falsely accused him, people who in a minute would mock him, he doesn't return anger for anger. Instead, he is saying they don't know what they're doing. In other words, he doesn't see sinners as the enemy. He sees sinners as the victim of the enemy. And he says they don't even know what they're doing. I'm not disgusted by who they are and what they're doing. They don't even know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. Meanwhile, in a very calloused way, beneath the cross, while Jesus is saying these shocking yet liberating words, it says that they divided up his clothes by casting lots. It's as if the people below the cross there are throwing the lots and they're casting to see who wins the clothes. And they must hear Jesus say, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And as they're casting the lots, they hear this crucified man speaking, and they must think, what did he say? I, I don't know. It's something about forgiveness. It's so weak. It's so passive. It's the part of following this man that I've never liked, your role. On they go. You see, in the first century, much like the 21st century, people tend to think of forgiveness in a very inexplicable way as if it's some kind of weakness or something that's passive about our faith. We begin to think of forgiveness as something for the insecure, for those who need a crutch. And what I really believe, and this is so important, people who think forgiveness is weak have never had something hard to forgive. Forgiveness is not weakness, forgiveness is boldness. It takes courage, it takes real strength. If you've ever seen it firsthand where someone was able to forgive something that was shocking, it's as if it's breathtaking and you see without any doubt there is strength revealed in that moment when someone is able to forgive. It's the person who can't let go, who holds on to bitterness, who holds on to the idea of revenge where you go, well, that's normal. Anyone can do that. It's the strength to let go and to trust a God who challenges us to forgive. Now, that is boldness. I love what C.S. Lewis says. Everybody thinks forgiveness is a good idea until they have something to forgive. In the same way, I would say everyone thinks forgiveness is easy or weak until they have something hard to forgive. 
But in this first century, the followers of Jesus themselves, these are the people who walked with him who were kind of at the back of the crowd. They're the ones who are now unfollowing Jesus because they see Jesus behaving in a way they don't think he should. They wanted Jesus to fight, to protest, to stand up. But he's forgiving. It feels passive. It feels weak. And they begin to unfollow him because, well, he's not doing what they thought he would do or even what they thought he should do. And so they begin to leave. They begin to scatter. And in no time at all, every one of them would be in hiding. Why? He didn't do what they thought he should do. And let me ask you something real personal here today. What do you do when God doesn't behave the way you think he should? See, here's what I know. There are people who walked into this room today, some of you, who you're carrying the kind of weight you didn't think you would ever have to carry or you sure weren't ready to carry it in this season where maybe you walk into this room and you have the kind of pain others sitting beside you don't even know you're carrying. You've got something at your job that's, that's so difficult. You've lost your job. You have something in your marriage you didn't expect to be there or you've lost a marriage or you've lost another marriage and you come into this place and you go, God, I never thought life would be like this. Or maybe you're in a place where it's your kids and you see them going a direction or your grandkids and you're burdened by something you never thought you would have to carry. Some of you with an illness or the loss of a loved one who is so precious to you. And you're in this place where you think, God, I didn't expect this. I didn't want this. And isn't it easy to be like these first century followers and to click unfollow? Because you didn't think God would allow this in your life in this season. Well, the truth is, following Jesus, it is not easy. It is not easy. In fact, following Jesus will cost you something. And that is why in the first century and in the 21st century, Jesus has a lot of fans. A lot of people who admire him. But in the first century and in the 21st century, it'll cost you something. And that's why Jesus has very few followers. People who are willing to pay the price no matter what. But what surprises me is that the first century followers of Jesus were surprised because it was just a few chapters earlier where Jesus had actually taught on this very thing to the people who were now surprised by the cost. He had actually taught back in chapter 9 and Luke documented it because it was so profound and now he is able to see it all through the lens of Calvary, all through the lens of the cross. Jesus actually taught, listen to what he taught. For those of us who are thinking about following or we are following, Jesus himself said, whoever wants to be my disciple, stay tuned, be warned. You must deny yourself. And whatever yourself wants, whatever yourself expects, whatever yourself thinks is fair, you must deny yourself. That means I don't get to be the ruler of me. Well, that's kind of a bummer, isn't it? Like it's something in me that I look around and I want to be the ruler of me. I want to determine the future. I want to be the one in charge. And Jesus says, if you're going to be a disciple of mine, you must deny yourself. And then he raises the bar that would have been so uniquely distinct to his first century audience. And he says, and take up their cross and every ear would have perked up because that was the thing they all understood too well daily and follow me 
take up the cross. They all knew what that meant. That meant to give up control. That meant to abandon independence. That meant that they would not just partially surrender, they would fully surrender. And then to say daily, well, sure, occasionally I can be a fan, but to submit daily means I'm going to be a follower. We sang earlier as we started the service today, the Lord's Prayer, where it's thy kingdom come and thy will be done. It's saying no to me and yes to Jesus. It's the difference between being a fan and a follower. And then Jesus goes on to say in verse 24, and whoever wants to save their life will climb, will achieve. No, will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me, Jesus said, will save it. It turns out, you are too small of a purpose to live your life for. That if you only live for you, at the end, you will only have you to show for you. And Jesus says, I'm inviting you to live for something bigger than you. In fact, he's going so far as to demonstrate what it means to live your life for something bigger. And so then he asks a very personal question. He says, so what good is it For someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self. What if you work really hard in this life and you win the wrong game? This is what Jesus is challenging us to consider. And in the crucifixion, he demonstrated how his followers are to live. That following Jesus will cost us something. So here's a real personal question. What is your faith costing you? What is your faith, what is your faith costing you in your relationships? What is it costing you in your calendar, in your time? What is it costing you in your money? What is it costing you in your service, in using your talents? What is it costing you in the way you absorb the things you don't yet know that you doubt in the pain of this life? What are you trusting him with? What is it costing you to follow him? He says it will be costly. He makes that so clear. And so it's surprising that the first century followers were surprised after having heard Jesus talk about this very thing. So let's go back to the cross. Let's go back to Calvary where we started. Let's go back to the place of the skull. And from there, Jesus had said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And then those divided his clothes beneath as they cast the lots. And then people began to mock him. Verse 35 says that the people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at Jesus. And they said, well, he saved himself, he saved others, let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. If you're king, then act like a king and save yourself. And then the soldiers who were on duty, professional military soldiers, they joined in on the mocking. Verse 36 says, the soldiers also came up and mocked him. And they offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, then save yourself. 
And even a criminal beside him jumped in on the insulting. Verse 39, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? And he implies, if you are, save yourself. And while you're at it, save us. And what they didn't know was if Jesus would have saved himself, he would have forfeited his mission to save them and to save you and to save me. Even to the very bloody end, Jesus was living for something bigger than himself and it would cost him everything to save everyone. Following Jesus is costly. And these first century followers found out and we crossed that at some point in our lives. So let me ask you that question again. Are you a fan of Jesus? Hey, I admire what he did. But sacrificing for it? I'm not there yet. Or would you say, I'm a follower of Jesus. It is costing me something to follow him. I am sacrificing in all these areas of my life. These are the people who change the world. Now, what was the impact of Jesus upon whom Christianity rises and falls? What was the impact of him going to the cross that day? Why was it such a big deal? Oh, there's a beautiful symbol that Luke records in verse 44 through 45. Look what it says. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining. It was as if the world was grieving. And here it is. The curtain of the temple was torn in two. I don't have a curtain like this hanging in my house. This kind of curtain was incredibly thick, incredibly tall, incredibly significant because it actually protected people from the holiness of God. It was actually used to protect the holy of holies where a priest once a year would go in and make a sacrifice. Here's why that's really important. Because the holiness of God and the sinfulness of you and me when it intersects, something has to give way. So to satisfy the justice of God, sacrifices had been made so that God's justice could be satisfied. And where was it? It was behind this curtain, once a year, where the justice of God would be satisfied. So you and I wouldn't have had access to that place, that time, those people, that moment was sacred and rare. And in this moment, what God is revealing is that the sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice that all those Old Testament sacrifices had been pointing to is Jesus. And on the cross, that sacrifice had been made and no longer had to be made. He is sufficient, past, present, and future for me, for you, your family, your friends, your neighbor, your coworkers, everyone here in Collin County and around the world. His sacrifice was made to be sufficient. Therefore, the veil, the temple, wasn't ripped from the bottom to the top, but from the top to the bottom to indicate it was God himself who separated that. And in doing that, it was as if he was letting God out of the temple. And this is important. He was also indicating the temple era had 
ended. In other words, there's no longer sacred place and sacred laws. It's now sacred people and sacred love. And he is letting it out. And Luke is revealing all these things he had written in the past. In this moment, he is saying, God left the temple so he could go to the sinners and tax collectors. God left the temple so he could go for the prodigal son and the prodigal daughters. God left the temple so that he could seek and to save the lost. The apololos, as we saw in that original language, this is the lost. Those who are eternally separated from God. God left the temple so that he could go and invite everyone to this great God. This is so important that Jesus gave everything so that nothing could keep anyone from him. The temple had the curtain ripped in two and now, here's the part I love so much, now this is so important for me, it's so important for you and your neighbor who lives so far from God, you sometimes go, how do they even exist? And sometimes you look in the mirror and you go, I am so far from God, how do I even exist, right? We're in the same boat, if we're really honest, the reality is, no longer do you have to know the right things or even do the right things to be connected to this God. The veil had been ripped, the curtain had been torn in two and this is important you no longer have to go to the right place to access God you no longer have to know the right laws to have access to God you no longer have to know the right people to have access to God whoever you are wherever you are you can go boldly straight to God himself you have access that in previous times only one person would have had access God loves us that much this is what the cross accomplished. And when that was accomplished, Luke said, I must document this. I know how this changes our access and our relationship with our heavenly father. He doesn't just want you to have a relationship from a distance. He invites you in to sit at his table and nothing should separate you from our great, great God. Now, if you're here today and you aren't a follower of Jesus, and you would say, if this is true, if Jesus gave everything so that nothing, because there's stuff I've done in the past, if this is true that Jesus gave everything so that nothing, because people have told me that nothing can keep even me from him, if that is true, you may be at the place where you say, I still don't know. And I would just ask you the most personal question I can ask you today. What is keeping you from following Jesus. Not just being a fan, not just being an admirer of Jesus, what is keeping you from following Jesus? What is keeping you from going all in in your life right here, right now, and following? We're in week six of this series. We've already seen people like John the Baptist decide based on what they saw of Jesus, they were gonna, he was gonna upend his life and go all in on Jesus. We saw Luke himself say, based on what I know of Jesus, I'm gonna upend my life. We saw Peter say, based on what I've seen of Jesus, I'm going all in on Jesus. We see the disciples later say, I am going all in on Jesus so much so that most of them would be martyred at the end of their life without recanting what they claim to have seen and that is that Jesus Christ is the Savior and Lord. The question that we have to ask, it's the most important question we will ever ask is what is keeping me from following Jesus. See, a movement was launched because enough people realized he is worth following. Now, some of you may be here and you go, yeah, but there's, there's still some doubt in my mind. There's some unanswered questions or, or maybe there's something in your past 
or someone in your past whose voice you keep hearing and it's keeping you from saying yes fully to Jesus. I don't know where you are. Sometimes we are tempted to have every question kind of locked up airtight before we make a decision to move forward when it comes to Jesus. And I just want to say if you're married, you already know that's not a good way to approach life, right? I mean, you had questions before you got married. You have doubts before you got married. You would have liked to have had some things buttoned up and you'd have liked to have had that debt paid off and that thing taken care of and that job be that far. But the truth is at some point you decided, you know what, I think they're worth the risk. I got some of these things taken care of. I'm gonna go for it even though there are still some unknowns. When you discover that someone is worth the risk, you take the leap of faith while you continue to search for your answers. And I believe sometimes we allow ourselves to ignore what we do know because we're so laser focused on those unanswered questions. And I'll be honest, there isn't a person in this room, if we're honest, that would say we still don't have some unanswered questions, but we've discovered a person who's worth following. And we've taken that step of faith. Let me ask you one more time, what is keeping you from following Jesus? And we want to be as helpful as we can. And I just want to say, if you maybe would be at that place, you know, I, I just have some, I have some doubts, I have some questions, I just have some concerns, or, or I, I would just love to talk with somebody about this. And I want to let you know, we would love to make the pastors available to you on a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Maybe it's a cup of coffee for you, maybe it's a phone call for you, whatever that would be for you. If that's you and you would say, I would like to talk about following Jesus, I'm not quite there yet, but I, I would like to be or I would like to learn more, we want to listen and we want to encourage. And so I want to offer this uh, website. You can get there through our app. You can just click this code as well. If you'll click that, and by the way, you can go here. If you just have prayer requests, this is a good time just to let us know what your prayer requests are. You can go to this website. You can click on this QR code. You can pull out your phone. We would love to be a pastor available to you, one-on-one, -on -one, a phone call, a coffee, whatever works best, to listen and to encourage you. You can always go to this website, lpchurch.us connect, and let us know. There's a button there that says meet with a pastor. Let us know. We would love to meet. Now, I know in the room like this, we have a couple hundred people here. There are inevitably some people here who would say, Man, I feel, if I'm honest, in this season, I feel like I'm more of a fan of Jesus than a follower. Maybe you used to be a follower, you've navigated, a gravitational pull keeps moving us toward being a fan, and you find yourself there again. And you say, you know what, I would love to go all in in that place of complete surrender that Jesus described back in Luke 9, where instead of always wanting to get something from my faith, I begin to give something toward the faith of others. Oh, I just would say, we would love to talk with you too. We would love to invite you into a conversation and pray with you, support you in any way that we can. But here's the question, back to our original question, we've got to ask, and that is, what is your faith costing you? And if the answer is nothing, then you are a fan. And most people are a fan. And what Jesus demonstrated in his life is he in, is inviting us to be a follower, which will be costly, which means we will lose our life for his sake, and in doing so, we will save it. 
that we will take up our cross, but we will take it up daily, that we will deny ourselves for his glory, for his honor. So what is keeping you from fully following Jesus? We've already taken communion today where we express gratitude for what Christ did on the cross. And now I would just wrap it up by asking you this question. Is there anything you're holding back? Is there anything you're not investing in your time, in a hurt, in a doubt? Is there something you're holding on to? Say, God, I am all in except for, what is that? And maybe you would even be so bold as to ask God that question. God, what am I? Is there anything I'm holding back? And you know what? He will answer that prayer. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a few seconds to just ask God that question. God, is there anything I'm holding back? As we take a step from being fans to followers, or mostly committed followers to fully devoted followers, or fully devoted followers who don't want to give in to the gravitational pull, I want to give you just a few moments in the quietness of this moment for you just to, maybe you just want to close your eyes and bow your head. I want to give you a few seconds and then I'm going to, I'm going to close us together in prayer. As you pray this prayer, God, is there anything I'm holding back from you? Right now, I just want to give you a few seconds to pray that prayer. Father, as you continue to speak to us, maybe it's an impression, it's a thought. Maybe it'll be an impression or a thought in the hours ahead, conversation with somebody that we respect and love. God, would you answer that question for us? Some of us already know the answer. God, would you give us the courage to take the step? Give us the wisdom and compassion to move forward well. God, we recognize that there are a lot of demonstrations of love around us, but nothing compares to the cross. So it is from this side of the cross that we look back at this story, your story, and we realize that you've given everything so that nothing could keep us from you. May we not let anything keep us from you. May we lose our life for your sake, and there we find it. I pray it all in the power of your risen son, Jesus. Amen.